0: Hello everyone, welcome back to The Left Page. It's been a little while, sorry for the delay, we had a few, well, technical and logistical problems as the semester starts over yeah. here in uh, college classes, but we're figuring things out and hopefully this this will come out this week. Um, Alright, so today we will be talking, instead of a novel or a group of novels, we're gonna tone it down a bit and go to something that is really important and really interesting for us which we'll be talking about a short story a very short one even called the case of the stick yeah. by a man called machado de Assis, and i'll let bruno introduce him because he it is a proper introduction
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah how are you guys doing we are here doing what we do best machado de Assis is uh, emblematic and as well A ginormous figure of the Brazilian literature in the 19th century. Uh, He was a big novelist. He wrote God knows how many short stories. He was also a poet. And he also translated Baudelaire and Edgar Allan Poe. Between, I don't know how many other authors as well. And the most important thing, he was black. And he was living in Brazil in the times of slavery. And he was born basically in what today we call favelas. But you can imagine that at those times it possibly was even worse. Because without proper sanitation and things that are a bit more introduced to favelas nowadays the things were even worse so we have a figure that came out of the what would be today favela and before his 20th anniversary he already knew latin portuguese obviously english and french so we're talking about a bit of uh i don't know even how to describe machado (laughs) he is a genius and i think the biggest legacy that Machado left for us, is that he left a legacy that is really strong, and we need strong legacies to destroy the strong legacy of racism and slavery that
0: still happens today. That was perfectly put. And to add a bit of the chronology there involved, I don't recall the exact date of his birth or his entire life in that sense, but When we think about the 19th century, the 19th century in Brazil was, despite many pushbacks in a sense, against slavery around the world, especially before the secession war, uh, the civil war in the US, but even before from Britain abolishing slavery, France and other various European countries, it was still one of the times where there was a large Movement. It was at the time where there was the largest intake of slaves in Brazil. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, like the figures are genuinely terrifying. Yeah. They barely compare to the previous centuries. And when you take around this time and you get this writer, someone who comes from that background who ended up well because of the sculpture and his knowledge, and despite pretty much against all odds, he achieved this knowledge and this he had these possibilities to him. It is really astonishing, and the way he does it, he really does push back in pretty much all his work against the ruling class, against racism. So, thinking about his legacy in that sense, it's a perfect way to think about it. And just to finish up with the chronology there, it was around during the latter half of the 19th century, because of this external pressure, and especially after the U.S. Civil War, slavery started becoming more and more of a problem for the ruling elites in Brazil and yeah. the growing elites, out with the old, in with the new. Yeah. <laughs> and as there was both a popular pushback and there was the abolitionist movement, slavery started becoming more and more unsustainable, which culminated in 1888 with the official, quotation marks, yeah. end of slavery, yeah. in that sense, it became illegal. Of course, there's always the problem that even if slavery was officially ended everywhere then, the conditions of slavery weren't over yeah. and the whole system of favors and that sort of thing still maintained uh, networks. The
1: system of favors and as well in Brazil, we had a really bizarre thing where a lot of the slaves were released in the streets and yeah. that became the first like ghettos of the country because Ah, now you're free, and then you live on the streets. Yeah, pretty much.
0: Yeah, and even then, like when the slaves were free, they had nowhere to go. Yeah. So where they came would they? Back, yeah. yeah. Where would they find employment? <laughs> it was there. Yeah. So fundamentally, the relations of slavery weren't necessarily changed. Yeah. And also worth mentioning, it was a monarchy in Brazil yeah. <laughs> throughout the entirety of the 19th century, and the monarchy fell one year after. The Abolition of Slavery in 1889. And that in one way shows the close ties of the monarchy with slavery. Yeah. And on another, the way this happened, it comes to the conclusion that the majority of the abolitionist movement's projects, which related to this integration into society, to there were close ties between the abolitionist and republican movements, they did not achieve their full potential, their full the, the entirety of the proposals they put forth. Because, well, the official end was not what they wanted, really. They yeah. wanted the fundamental changes, which never came, and still don't. Yeah. Still haven't, really. Nice. So, yeah, that's that's the 19th century in Brazil in a nutshell regarding slavery.
1: Yeah, and it's an honor to talk about Machado de Assis to a majority of people that aren't from Brazil. Yeah, let's begin.
0: Yeah, perfect.
1: So, the, the case of the stick. Machado starts the short story remarking uh, a really interesting thing that Machado wasn't a fool (laughs) (laughs) and he knew really well his politics and his history. And he says he almost begins the short story just before 1850. And curiously, 1850 was the date of the Bill Aberdeen law. Mm -hmm. So he's almost saying that a uh, episode like this that he's going to narrate could only happen in a world before this law. But he's also ironizing that obviously after this date these things will still happen. Exactly. Just the way they happen.
0: Yeah, and worth mentioning, I'm sure he knew of that in the US, but in Brazil, 1850 was the law Eusebio de Queiroz, which basically forbade the transatlantic traffic of slaves. Yeah. That That was much more notable than in earlier periods because there were laws against the traffic before, but this one had an actual effect. Yeah. And in this sense, this was a defining moment, but that didn't end slavery because there was the internal traffic inside the country and there was still, it was still done in illegal forms. Yeah. And, and anyways, there were
1: black kids uh, being born in those, what we call, Casa Grande, St. Alas So, like, laws like the Interlivre that came... I don't know if it came. Back. I
0: think it was definitely afterwards. But yeah. like, it was, like, either late 1860s or 1870s yeah, or something. Yeah, but even, how
1: Frank said, even with the abolition of the transatlantic commerce, there were basically slaves being born, little babies that would become slaves. Mm-hmm. So, it was... A bit of a autosufficient logic of slavery and work.
0: Exactly, there was there were many plans to make sure that slavery would continue in uh, contained manner inside the country. Yeah, uh, through the various regions. In that sense, the law Bruno mentioned, which was either from the eighteen sixties or eighteen seventies, which was the free free womb yeah. uh, law. Yeah. was much more of a problem in that sense, because slaves born after that time would be free. Yeah. There was there, there are some interesting legal stuff about that, because they weren't <laughs> liberated, they were free. There, it, it was an indeterminate status. It was very strange. <laughs> yeah, very I strange. studied some of that last year. But regardless... These various processes, which di- which didn't happen only in the sphere of power, there were there were popular forces struggling and fighting at that time still, yeah. but it was a very tumultuous time for slavery, and the Mark of 1850 is a very important one in the history of slavery. Yeah. And when we think about this short story being published... Hello, everyone. Uh, This is in edit, Frank. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Basically, I want to correct something that I will say right away about the publishing date of the short story we're talking about. It was actually published in 1891, not 1897, as I'm about to say. Just something that I was checking out to make sure. And sorry for that. That doesn't invalidate any of our analysis or conclusions since we were talking about a, a short a short time since the abolition of slavery. just wanted to add that information to you all. Uh, sorry about that. And we will be back to our scheduled programming now. From what I have found in 1897, yeah. Machado really is making a point of, okay, so we're at this time when this was, like, the big thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: so Machado just starts a short story with this just before 1850. And then we have the situation of Damien. Sorry, we will not translate the names because it's literally
0: impossible. But yeah, I think that's a I think it's always a good policy to not translate names. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: so we have Damien, he's a, a young man, he's mm-hmm. a seminarist. Yeah. And he's studying the Yeah, uh, he's in the
0: Catholic seminary. Yeah, exactly. And but he hates it. <laughs> Pretty much.
1: And the beginning of the short story is he, is the episode of he he's fleeing the the seminary yeah he's literally running away from the seminary yeah. <laughs> and he knows by fact that he doesn't want to come back to the seminary but if he li- if he arrives home his dad will obviously take him back to the seminary
0: yeah his father was the one as we learn later on that wanted him to go to the seminary yeah
1: so, basically, we have a bit of a, not moral, but...
0: A conflict of interests. Yeah, probably. conflict
1: of interests. And he starts to think, what can he do to escape this moment of conflict? And basically, he remembers about Sinha Rita, which is a close person in the family. The structures of the elitist families in Brazil, it's really, really bizarre. uh, were really bizarre because there were lots of there were a lot of people who weren't actually from the family but were treated as family and there were like lots of monetary interest in lots of marriages and we have lots of things like this uh i don't remember specifically what the what machado says that sinhahita is but this is not like really central to the the short story but basically, the first remark that I want to make, the kind of power that drives this short story, it's basically the idea of the games of power, and Absolutely. Uh, as well, the notion of trading favors. Damien remembers Sinha Rita, and he, he encounters her, and he begs for God that <laughs> he goes, <laughs> that he, in any way possible, can get out of the seminary. He, there's even a small passage. A small passage where he says that if the Pope could dissolve the Catholic Church, it would be optimal for him. <laughs> it would be perfect. <laughs> like he, he's thinking about a favor just for him. You can see already how Machado liked to depict the elitist families in Brazil because they were mm-hmm. re- they, they were really and they still are really like scandalous and oh i think the catholic church should dissolve so i can
0: uh, never go uh, i i don't don't need to go to the seminary anymore yeah or (laughs) even beyond that it's a portrayal of how the elites see the catholic church or the religion in that sense i want to talk a bit more about that later about him being sent to the seminary yeah but even before that in this case what we're seeing is there's this treatment, like the Catholic Church is like a tool in a sense. It's yeah. like, yeah, I I, I don't want to be there, and yet this is the moralist defense <laughs> that they use. Like the moral argument is from a Catholic, a religious standpoint, and this yeah. this is a strong argument, and yet this is how they end up treating it or seeing it. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting because the fir- like the first portrayal, and when we're talking about uh, games of power and these interests, is how this first portrayal of Singaheita. She is mentioned by him as a widow, a dear person to João Carneiro, which is Damião's uncle. Yeah. Which plays a part in the story later on. Yeah. So, a really dear person. <laughs> exactly. In that sense, thank you, yeah. Bruno. You know, <laughs> but it's it, it's interesting to think. It's all about interest. Why does he go there? Interest is because yeah. she can do something for him because yeah. how she is connected to her uncle. Yeah.
1: So, basically, Damião arrives at Sinha Rita's home. And the first manipulation of power that he does, he basically begs for her. And after a bit of resistance from Sinha Rita, he starts to, what do we call in Brazil, chavecar, or bajular, <laughs> which is complimenting in a really... He's pretty
0: much attempting to flatter her yeah. and, you know, falling good graces with her. Yeah, exactly. Praising her, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, praising. And... Basically,
1: after a bit of convincement, Sinha Rita thinks about the perfect way of having Damião out of the seminary, which is blackmailing
0: João Carneiro, which is his... uh, her lover. uh... It doesn't necessarily say that they're romantic involved, and it doesn't necessarily imply that, but there is an infatuation between the two.
1: Yeah, I think... Yeah, there's an infatuation, and actually, uh, later, I will talk about the thing that makes... You probably conclude,
0: yeah. I think it makes you
1: come to the conclusion, yeah. I come to the conclusion that they were actually lovers outside of a marriage, which yeah. is other thing that the the Brazilian <laughs> elites and the elites in the world always like to talk about and hate and say that is a
0: devilish thing. Yeah, they've, they've always done it pretty much, yeah. so you know.
1: <laughs> so basically, Sinha Rita talks with Damion's uncle and they have a, a bit of a fight and he, she basically
0: asks João
1: Carneiro to talk with Damian's father.
0: Yeah, right. So, happens it. Uh, Sinha Rita gives João Carneiro an ultimatum. Yeah, She basically says, if you don't do this, if you don't get that if you com- don't convince the boy's father <laughs> to make him not go to the seminary anymore and make sure that he can go Somewhere else, or do yeah. whatever. Then I will continue to see you. If you don't do this, I will never see you again. Yeah, I will leave. She basically sh- says that. And uh, do you want me to talk about the well? What what is happening around the the house of Sinahita? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So basically, what we're getting at is because this it's something that and and I think that's very brilliant of Machado in the way he does it that. Although the main the main story is the Miao, he is the main character. He is yeah. the focus of the story, yeah. and that's hi- the story is his ultimately. Yeah. However, there are things happening around him, and there is a whole background. And to put this on the background is, It's genius. And I'll we'll yeah. get onto yeah. it in a bit. Yeah. But basically, something that is described when the uh, Miao arrives or while he's staying there is that there are other there are little girls there yeah. who are basically doing sewing work. I think. Yeah. For Sinahita Yeah, her slaves. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It, it's not like that. I think that's also pretty clever. It's not said ever that they're slaves. Yeah. yeah. It says they're, they're doing work. Yeah. But they're pretty much slaves. But they are they black kids working in a house where other slaves live. Exactly. So basically they're slaves yeah, as well. pretty yeah. much. And there's a very particular moment where, where a little one, Lucrezia, or yeah. as it's been seen as well, Lucrezia, it's a good Italian name <laughs> she she's a, a small little uh, black uh, she, her descriptions very that she's feeble that she's yeah, small really and, fragile exactly yeah. and at one point Damien is telling Sinahita and a couple of her of Sinahita's friends that came over for tea and coffee whatever okay. uh, he's telling them a couple of stories from the seminary and just stuff that happens you know like anecdotal stuff and some of them are pretty hilarious and Lucrecia, at one point, ends up laughing a lot and is reprimanded by Sinha yeah. who says to her that she better continue her work and be finished by sundown, yeah. or there will be punishment. Yeah. So, yeah, it's this sort of thing. If you do everything right, then everything will be fine, order will be maintained. If you don't do this, then there will be punishment. Yeah. And, of course, when we're thinking when we're thinking about slavery, it's... Usually very brutal, very physical punishment, yeah. even if it is a small little girl. Okay, so we're we'll going to head to, towards the end. Yeah,
1: I think we shall, shall already try to translate the the end part. Yeah,
0: it, it's the final bit, and so yeah, basically... We're
1: doing a, a bit
0: of a live translation here. Yeah, we, we did a previous one before we started recording, but th- this is for keeps. And it's basically the the, the 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 setup for this final moment is the uncle supposedly went to talk with his father, and yeah. he, he It's very interesting because the way he sends a message is via slave. Yeah, he sends a letter, and the the courier pretty much is a slave. Yeah, and that that is explicit. That it's said in the text that he is a slave. Yeah, he couldn't be anything else, and that's the brutal aspect of it. Yeah. So. And it's pretty much all being arranged and it will be fine for Damien. Yeah. He will be Damien, golden.
1: Damien is already like at ease. Because in the beginning of the, the short story, he's like completely desperate. And he's like, oh my god, my father will kill me and then I will need to go back to the seminary. Which gives a really good tone of the sense of individuality that Damien has. Which is also an allegoric
0: metaphor for what the interests of the elites in Brazil wanted as well. Yeah. The whole story focuses on him. And not only of what he's doing, but what he's thinking and feeling. It really follows his view in that sense. So, now we are at sundown. Or sundown. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And what happens is... It was the time to gather the the children's labors, and Signa Hita examined them, and all of her disciples had concluded the task, only to Lucrezia, who beforehand had laughed at uh, one of the meal's jokes, could hadn't finished. And at that time, Damien had remarked to himself, he did not say it out loud, but he had sworn that he would godfather that kid, yeah. because it was because of his story and what he had said that disturbed her labor and could lead to her being punished. Yeah. So he had felt guilty then, and he had made this solemn promise to protect her. Yeah. So now we're at the end, and I will now go to the actual text. So Quotations to Machado. <laughs> Sinha came to her, saw that her task wasn't finished, became furious and grabbed her by an ear. Oh, you bastard! Mrs, Mrs, for the love of God, by Our Lady in Heaven! Oh, you bastard! Our Lady doesn't protect bitches! Lucrecia made an effort, released herself from the hands of the Mrs and ran inside. The Mrs went after her and grabbed her. Come here! Mrs, please forgive me. I won't forgive you now and they both returned to the room, one caught by, the, by her ear, struggling, crying and begging, the other one saying no, saying that it was time to punish her. Where is the stick? The stick was on top of the mantelpiece, on the other side of Sinha living room. Not wanting to let go of the little one, she yelled to the seminarist, Mr. Damion, give me that stick, please. Damion became cold, cruel instant, a cloud passed his eyes, Yes, he had sworn to Godfather the little one that because of him had delayed her work. Give me the stick, Mr. Damien. Damien walked towards the ma- the mantelpiece. The little one asked her for everything that was most sacred by mother, by father, by our lord. Help me, oh, Mr. Signorita, with her face on fire and her eyes bulging, urged for the stick. Without letting go of the little one, now caught by a fit of coughing. The mion felt compelled. But he really needed to leave the seminary. He reached the mantelpiece. Grabbed the stick. And gave it to Sinahita. And that's how we end the short story. Yeah. Th- that was the final bit of dialogue. Yeah. And it is one hell of a punchline.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were talking earlier today. How the logic of slavery really shows itself here. Because you can only make a decision like this. If you don't have any pity for the person that is receiving the other side of this deal. Exactly. And basically Machado has a genius way of showing how slavery has a power of actually making people believe that black people didn't have souls and weren't considered people. It's really brutal. I can't say anything better than brutal for a name like this.
0: Yeah, it's, it's such a brutal description in that sense because it really puts, in a tough position, those that would comfortably and without any personal compromise or real attitude be sympathetic to the cause of black people yeah and of course i'm using contemporary terms because the criticism still applies <laughs> but that would do nothing for it or when it came to any yeah. personal or individual change or consequence they would back off yeah they were back out of what they yeah. of the even there's they solemnly swore yeah
1: and and more than the logic of slavery. I think that the most apparent thing that happens on this short story is showing and ironizing the logic of the elites that is like a a raw, animal-esque way of like having a survival instinct for things that aren't survivalist. Yeah. Uh, For basically, it's the choice between my likings and my wills versus the harm of a, a little kid and not just the harm like the the punishments in brazil like hot steel to the skin being hanged upside down the, the list uh, the list goes on if you have a a weak stomach you, you might don't don't, don't yeah, even it's... try to to search it because it's really really grotesque
0: yeah though it's worth mentioning a good source for it and although there are there are questionings and there are a reflection and discussions about this particular piece it's a very famous one in the history of Brazil, it was written in the 1930s called Casa Grande Sem yeah. the big house and the slave house in that sense yeah. and I, I won't recall the exact translation but uh, by Gilberto Freire and it's a very there are some complications to to the way he portrays the quote-unquote mixing of races yeah. and the various things about it but it is very realistic in a sense portrayal of the brutal violences yeah. of slavery in brazil so despite certain perspectives and views if you really want to take a look at the violence that was perpetrated and how absolutely nightmarish it was that is still an incredibly good source for it. It doesn't hold back on saying what what happened and what we know happened.
1: Yeah.
0: But what I one of the things that I think is absolutely brilliant about this story is that the matter of slaves, the matter of this racism, the matter of how the the black people are portrayed in the story is exactly how they were in actuality. Yeah. They're the background. background. yes yeah they're in the background they're the the courier that took the message they are the the little girl working in the corner the story is and that is a criticism in itself the story of a high class white man that doesn't want to go to the seminary yeah and who makes a deal with people from his family or close to so he doesn't do that and it's a story about white people doing things yeah, it's uh, for their own self-interest it's,
1: it's a short story about the basically white people problems <laughs> 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 it's basically that like the poor guy the poor white guy in a, a restore a aristocratical society doesn't want to go to the seminar anymore so he just does some power management and then he goes out of the seminar and a
0: little black kid is totally massacrated. Yeah. And, and and the brilliant thing is, shadow does not portray Damian with irony. Yeah, he he really does portray for you to sympathize with. Him. Yeah, he yeah. he is the protagonist. He is the hero of the story. Yeah, well he isn't, but he doesn't like he doesn't narrate him with contempt. Yeah, he is very precise, and he does narrate him like someone who's struggling, who doesn't want to go to the seminary, and while that may be legitimate or not, whatever it's. It really does pale in comparison to what is actually happening in the background. Yeah. And that is the brilliance of what, what, like a three, four page short story? Yeah. It's a really the short, power short sentence
1: is, is like
0: ridiculous. My it's shadow. astonishing. Yeah. And it really does help to portray how, well, how slaves were the background. They were not seen as people and they were not seen, there was no mercy towards them. And even when there is this glimpse of mercy by Damien during the halfway mark of the short story, at the end, was that really mercy or was that just guilt from before? Guilt that ultimately, when it really comes to doing something about it,
1: well, yeah, and you just went away like, like the wind. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, yeah, yeah like uh, I, I said, I would. I, I really shouldn't, but <laughs> I need this. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it falls under this logic of an individualism. Like, it, it is what he wants, and it it is what he needs. Yeah, from his position as a white man. Yeah, regardless. Of what else is going yeah, on?
1: It, it it comes back to what I said about the savagery of the the elites. Like they already have more than enough, and they are doing decisions based on a savagery that is completely ridiculous. There, there's not much to to add to the the kind of decisions that he makes, but it's literally that so. yeah
0: this sense of competitiveness yeah. within the elite, this social darwinism yeah. that is in the high strata of society it's so utterly meaningless yeah that it, it it's laughable when you think about it it's like oh these people have everything what are they doing here yeah exactly and I, I
1: can't help to not talk about it. I think the word of the last 10 years is entrepreneurship. <laughs> here in Brazil, you walk and if you go to sleep and lift your pillow, there will be entrepreneurship written <laughs> on your bed. Yeah, it's, it's actually actually ridiculous here. Uh, it, it became is. like, a, a, I don't know how to describe it. So it's everywhere. And basically, I started to become more and more pissed off about the, the reutilization and excessive use of this word. And actually, that uh, anger uh, made me think about how, as we were saying, like, when a, a slave was freed and then he came back to the slave owner, in a capitalist logic now and not in a slave in a proper slavery uh, logic now we have this entrepreneurship which is basically the same style of games of power and manipulations of power that we have in this short story and the basic premise of the entrepreneurship here in Brazil is doing more money when you already have enough money yeah and and basically it's like i can help to talk about home officing Uh which is the new way to enslave people because you (laughs) think you oh my god it's so great i have a new job where i can sit at home and my boss will call me at 4 a.m in a sunday and i will need (laughs) to answer him and do a job so basically the frontiers between the where the private life and the public life and the work life of workers in modern capitalism have broken down. And people are, are celebrating. Yeah. And it's bizarre to me.
0: I want to go off on a bit of a tangent regarding what you said about this breaking down of the barriers between the public job and the private life. Because we, we have that uh, classical image. The worker goes to the factory, he stays there a stupid amount of time, yeah. goes home, and that's that. He doesn't yeah. have to think about his work anymore. Yeah. And that has broken down quite a while ago. And when we think about it, it's very interesting to go on at this point. Because in Brazil, one of the classical works when we think about sociology and thinking about Brazil is called The Roots of Brazil. by an incredible historian and sociologist named Sérgio Buarque de Holanda. And it is an incredible work. But there is an analysis in there about what is called the... which is supposed to be a sociological type of the Brazilian man or the Brazilian human being, which is the cordial man, the hospitable man, if you will. And he's this person that lives on these arrangements these sort of familial connections who mixes the private and the public life and this is very interesting because when one of the biggest biggest things in brazil at least in the discourse although it is everywhere like let's be honest corruption yeah corruption is usually pointed out as this thing this mixing of private and public spheres as if that's not the As if that's the cause, which it really isn't, let's be honest. Yeah. But more Marxist, anarchist, more left-leaning critiques really point out that corruption is pretty much nothing compared to what is going on in the labor exploitation. So, you know, but regardless, <laughs> when you look at this and you think about this mixture of public and private and it's pointed out that it's this thing that Brazilian people do and it's one of the problems that stop Brazilian people from being some someone in the world yeah of projecting the country to the world stage if you will that was yeah. in one of the terms and one of the conceptual frameworks in the 20s in here in brazil when you think about that and you think about this breaking down of spheres in the labor in labor this private and public and it's not regardless of what people are doing that's that's not what going it's going on people's desires or what they want to do it has nothing to do with it. It's capital advancing labor to new degrees. Yeah. It's no longer the office nine to five. You check in, you check out. Yeah. don't need to think about it anymore. No, you need to do these assignments at home. You need to do this networking all the time. You need to be up, up to date on the projects. You need to have these creatives and entrepreneurial decisions yeah. and ideas. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> when we think, like, no, it's the Brazilian people that mix the public and the private, it's cha- so shallow. Yeah. And that might happen, sure, but that is not at all the cause of the, the weakness of the Brazilian state of people or people or whatever. And this is not trying to be a diss on Sergio Barca de or anything of the sort. But it's a critique of that sort of understanding that places it on a certain people, the exceptionality of a people, be it positive or negative. In Brazil, it's very much negative. And this self-image is ultimately worthless and meaningless when you think about, well, what capital ends up doing anyway. Capital doesn't give a shit about the public sphere. It has always (laughs) been there. It has always been advancing its interests wherever it cared for. And mixing these two things... It was more convenient in one place or another. Or it's convenient everywhere with invading the private sphere uh, it, with uh, their jobs. Uh, I can help to do the,
1: the cliché, but the capital basically became the big brother. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, we are surrounded by things of the capital, but now we are surrounded by thoughts of the capital. Mm-hmm. Even when, when we are home. Yeah. So that's basically the... The extrapolation of the barriers which we in a not distant past we still had, but now we don't even have this anymore, exactly. And it's really
0: mesmerizing. I totally agree. And it's interesting to go back to a short story like this, which is over a hundred years old uh, when we think 1897 what a different time! Brazil was hadn't been a re- a republic for not even a decade, yeah. and there was still this. Uh, it was very clear th- this legacy of slavery. Like when we think about it, like why did he write some a short story about slavery, putting it in in this background in 1897 or even a couple of years before, but in this period, likely after the end of slavery officially, said over 50 years before. What is he showing? He's showing that this matter of slavery, of black people being in the background, that it was there 50 years ago and that nothing had changed. Yeah. And that is still the matter. Yeah. When we think about the many people, uh, the invisible people, if you will, today, and you think about the various people who were housekeeping, yeah, when you think about the people in the favelas, the people that the elites turn their back to, that they avert their eyes from, that yeah. they, well, shame about yeah, that, we had, but... We had, uh,
1: sorry, we had a, a classical example of this when There was the World Cup here in Brazil, and in uh, São Paulo Airport, the government has placed lots of walls on the big avenues, so the people who, who would arrive here wouldn't see the favelas inside their cars. So it's yeah. basically selling a European lifestyle on a place where the majority of the people live in misery.
0: Exactly. It's it's very much... And when you think about Rio de Janeiro, which at the time that Machado is writing, and for a long time during the 20th century, it was the Brazilian capital. Yeah. It was the capital of the country. Yeah, It is one of the most... It's one of the places where it has the most obvious social inequalities and unbalances that you will ever see yeah. like you literally have this st- stupidly stupidly rich and wealthy neighborhood yeah. you have copacabana palace you have
1: copacabana as a uh, as a neighborhood as a neighborhood but you as well have the copacabana palace and lots of big hotels that leblon. are leblon
0: exactly but continue sorry uh, no problem thanks for the yeah. adding of elements yeah. and Right like in the hill above, you have a favela. A stupidly large favela. Yeah, and it's not a hill. It's like a giant, ginormous
1: mountain that is (laughs) really like a geographic, ginormous thing that has all these people in, in complete poorness that live there. And you descend these mountains of basically poor people and you arrive at a really stupidly rich Neighborhoods,
0: yeah, it's the contrast is astonishing, yeah. And like, we live in Sao Paulo, we're talking about well, the, the city and the whole metropolitan area, which is the expanded city and nearby cities and all that, nearby municipalities. The city itself has neighborhoods where it is okay. like there's a wall, there's a wall between uh, a building condo, and on the other side of that wall, you have the favela, yeah. The Morumbi. classical picture, yeah, exactly, Morumbi. Yeah. The, the classical pictures from Morumbi are exactly that. Or uh, the other one is two isolated towers from this building complex and all around it, the favela. Yeah. And it, it is... It, it screams. In, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, we live in a screaming contradiction and the elites don't seem to hear it. They, they
0: hear it, but they don't give a fuck. Exactly. <laughs> and it, can you imagine the view, like... You're on one of those two buildings, and you're looking down. You're like a king. It's there. Exactly like dying uh, of starvation, <laughs> dying of disease. Like dying. it's the watchtower. Yeah, yeah. It's the watchtower looking down on the on the peasants. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's astonishing.
1: Yeah.
0: So we're taking a breather now after <laughs> the animosity. <laughs> It's because some of these issues, like, they're very personal to us. And we grew up with a lot of this. And one of the things that's very problematic and and we saw is like, oh, one of the big problems in Brazil is social inequality. Okay. There's social inequality. There's always been social inequality and there's social inequality all around the world. And it's this huge problem in Brazil and it's this issue. But in school, it's like, yeah, there's this problem. How do we deal with it? That question is never asked and a solution is never provided or hinted at. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a thing. Yeah. Too bad.
1: Yeah, it's Too a really bad. bad thing, yeah. Yeah. But how
0: we we can change the world. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's when you think about it is and it's a problem that's been pointed out before. These people are in the background. They're being shoved forcefully into the background. And what happens is the elites turn avoid their eyes they look away and they uh, change will not come from them yeah that that's that's ex- one of the things that my shadow is clearly putting in. these people will do nothing yeah when it comes to it when it really comes down to a difficult decision or even a mildly problematic yeah. decision yeah. they'll do nothing and when we think like in the u.s uh, I didn't realize it then, but it's perfect to talk about this then. In the US, it's Black History Month. Yeah. And when you think about figures like Martin Luther King, who was a socialist, and that's a good thing. When you think about Malcolm X, the, uh, Malcolm X especially, he was talking about, we need to do this ourselves. If we don't do this, no the others won't. And, of course, Machado isn't being that explicit, he's from a very different time. And he couldn't even do that. Like he'd be arrested yeah. for sure. Yeah. But he's doing the same sort of provocative critique, yeah. and he's very clear on this. Oh, the, the dilemma at the end, where like Damien is, well, but I said I would, but I really need yeah. to yeah. not. And
1: I and I think the the biggest geniosity of the short story, taking into consideration that Machado was a black man. Is that for a elitist person? You can read the novel and don't get shocked. Exactly. You can end the the short story and be like, "Oh well, Lucrezia had what she deserved." <laughs> Pretty much. So it's. It's, uh oh my God, Machado's so fucking
0: intelligence is unbelievable. He is. And it, like, he lived because of what he had achieved, his writing. He was of a success while he was alive. Yeah. And he reached these sort of circles of the intellectual elite, yeah. which was under the economic elite uh, in Brazil. Like, there were connections and intersections. Yeah. But these were, they were mostly separate. And he was part of this intellectual elite. But he was, after all, an outsider yeah in a sense and that's a good thing yeah because what was all around him wasn't wasn't doing what he was doing wasn't doing what needed to be done wasn't thinking what needed to be thought wasn't going as far as it needed to go it was staying well before and when my writes something like this it it, it <sighs> It's a punch in the face. Yeah, and
1: I also have a a bit of a recommendation. I don't know if this text has uh, any translations, but talking about this, you you remembered me of Roberto Schwarz. There's a a text called A Master in Capitalism Marginality. Mm -hmm. And it's a work solely on Machado. Yeah. uh, Explaining how he orchestrated a literary kind of revolution and manifesto of the anti-slavery and anti-elitist thoughts and ideals. And he did all of this and without the support of capitalism. Basically. Exactly. He, he lived in the favela. He was the complete renegation of, of a, a well-born and rich person. And he
0: managed to shit in capitalism's face. Pretty much. (laughs) And, like, these works, like, they're an an amazing legacy. And there are other works, like, you have... um, Anemar's Postumus. Yes, the posthumous Memories of Brascubus. Yeah. And that, that is a ravishing portrayal of a man of the elites. And it is merciless, as it should be. (laughs) But it's basically, like, and it paints this picture of this... Prick, pretty much. he's an asshole yeah. who he doesn't care about anything other than himself. and he sees himself as this sort of hero, yeah. as this high figure. And he's a nobody. He yeah. died a nobody. Nobody yeah. gave a shit about him. Yeah. And ultimately that's what he concludes. Like the story is told from his point of view after he died. yeah. And aside from a literary point of view, incredible. It is politically and socially astonishing. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a wrap up. I think that 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 was a great episode. Yeah. We did go off on some tangents there and I had some pretty long monologues, I'm sorry. No, no. But I think this was very important. Yeah. And I also remarked that sharing
1: Machado's work with anyone, Brazilians, Americans, anyone in the world is all, always a pleasure. So I think that we did a, a, a great job talking about him.
0: Exactly, he he does so much and in various angles. Like something we didn't talk much about, but and in this short story, his critique of the way the elites see the Catholic Church or religion in that sense—it's a tool like any other. It's a behavioral tool. The father sends the young to the seminary to correct his behavior. Yeah, it doesn't Religion, being a priest, who cares? Uh, yeah. He needs to be well behaved. That's yeah. what matters, yeah. and. This is just one of the angles he goes and he has some incredible words. Like to have an amazing short story, The Church of the Devil. Yeah. That should be translated if that that probably is. is, is, Uh, But and you shouldn't have too much difficulty finding it. It's this isn't very long, but it's just such brilliant work. And so many others. Like, he has a certain critique on the moral... sort of the moral conservative. It's a short story called Some Arms. Yeah, yeah. It's also uh, well, well, well thought about here. Basically, this boy in this familial... the big house environment and the lady of the house, she at times wears, like, this sort of sleeveless dresses or shirts or things and... The kid is infatuated, fascinated, uh, enamored yeah. with her arms yeah. because it shows skin and it's sort of this sexual element to him. And it's uh, <laughs> it, it's a critique on the morals and the yeah. conservative there, about, about what these things mean. And like this is from someone who talks about slavery. He talks about religion. He talks about politics. He's talking about morals. He is. Of such very talent and yeah. an absolute brilliant writer and translator, I might add. Yeah, it's it's astonishing. He's someone to read and read a lot, and always read more and reread. Yeah, and to br- to be able to bring it to an English speaking and English listening audience, it is it is a privilege, yeah, it's, really. It's an honor. Yeah. And I'm happy to be doing that it, it, well, I, I'm overjoyed to do yeah. it really <laughs> So you have anything you want to add or no. should we wrap up? so yeah thank you very much everyone for listening to the left page. I uh, was super happy with doing this and if you'd like to follow us on Twitter we're at lef- at left Pod, yeah. and we have a patreon page patreon.com slash left page. Yeah. pretty sure that's the address. Uh, we have a few projects going on and we we're at the start, we're at the beginning. Yeah. But we have we have some good and interesting plans hopefully. Yeah and thank you very much for listening. We thank should you very be much. back shortly with something interesting and as a sneak peek we have big things in the background for yeah. you all, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye.
2: Like that, the more cuz I wanna get it on till I die. Get it on till I die. Get it on till I die. Y'all remember me? After the way you died. The more cuz I wanna get it on till I die. Ew, not the more cuz I wanna get it on till I die. Get it on till I die. Get it on till I die. Y'all remember me? After the way you died. Only wish to breathe. I explode to a million seas. Y'all remember me. Legendary left eternity, hurry me me me. Cause they feel reincarnation Niggas screaming peace Cause they feel when my squad face them Take them to places Take the face, and embrace them And break the murder Motherfuckers out of weight And the and base Blast me but never ask me To live a lie Am I wrong? Cause I wanna get it on Till I die Now even if you're blind You can still see my prophecy My destiny to overthrow Those on top of me Bitch made niggas in that bullshit you're going through Outlaws Busting Busting We are untouchable you me expect me nigga like you expect jesus to come back expect me nigga i'm coming <laughs>